our preparatory month for the Yemei Adin. We also have a way to use this preparatory time to celebrate and come to understand a little bit about someone who was nostalgic uh, to Shamayim, to Ganeidin on this day um, in 1935. This is his yard site. And uh, I think that if we begin to understand his significance and understand a little bit of what he bequeathed to Klal Yisrael, uh, we could actually use some of these principles to help us really become truly spiritual people and people in his spirit as well, the spirit of the, the unique spirit that Rav Cook symbolized and articulated and continues to remain strong even so many years after he's gone. Um, I, I appended to the email, as you can see, a little bit of an essay that I wrote for a course that I gave a number of years ago on Rav Kook. And um, as you can see, that uh, you can read some of it if you can read it. I don't know if you got a chance. Did you get a chance to read some? Okay, so we're going to read a little bit of it, just as sort of an introduction. Um, even before he became a public figure, Rav Avram Yitzchak HaKoyen Kook attached significance to all his activities and attitudes to line them with and use them for a sense into holiness. His fealty to a mission of Uneo Mystica, during the odyssey of his 70 years of life, that was a span of time in Cook's life that saw a tumultuous change in the world order that brought a dramatic, definitive direction for the Jewish people. Uh, that fealty to his mission is a key romantic ingredient to why the Rav has posthumously become a postmodern ideal of sophisticated religious regeneration in a jaded society. People still point to him as providing the answers, as I said. It's a, what is, how can we regenerate ourselves in, in this society? Um, there is a misconception that Rav Cook is a um, curiosity for the Torah world in some ways, that he's sort of out of bounds. Um, There is a statement here from uh, Moshe Feinstein, as you can see, um, that his uh, his grand um, his granddaughter's husband, Rav Shapsai Rappaport, uh, spoke to him about Rav Cook, and he showed him something that Rav Cook had said, and of course Rav Moshe said, Rav Moshe Feinstein said, of course it's great. Hello, who are you gaon hagaonim? That's what Rav Moshe said about it. Everybody knew his his greatness, his, his, his amazing comprehensive ability to comprehend and see things in such a deep way. Um, however, um, his legacy and putative Imprimatur has been invoked by competing and opposing movements, further obscuring, I would argue, the real nature of his goals and approach. In a role that he appeared to accept, which was prophet of the times, the convincing power of his learning and place among poskim has become, it became and is still minimized or ignored 
people see him as this great prophetic figure, but they don't realize what he has done. Um, that's, I believe, an academic deficiency that has extended to the present day. Uh, we're removed in time from the original passions, politics, and debates over the legitimacy of the state of Israel. We've accepted much of the territorial expansion post the six-day worst facts on the ground. Students of today, I think, can re-examine parts of his immense literary legacy in a measured, unprejudiced way. It's not just about whether we believe there should be a state or not, or where we are. I think I think we need to re-examine his writings. Um, and I hope that as people get more involved in the ideas of Rav Cook, it will be a springboard for the continuance of his goals in Torah within the challenging, complex, modern world that Rav Cook never cloistered himself away from. I believe his derech can reveal itself as the surest way to navigate in an era of information overload. And I think we can actually use his derech to respond to the demands of scientific exactitude. Uh, Rav, he was the Rav of Zoymel in Boisk in Europe, and then in, in Yafo at the dawn of 20th century. Was, Rav Kook was brought into the minutiae of daily communal life and how halach had been misapplied, and he consistently dealt with persons of ignoble intentions, yet his scholarly direct and savvy responses retained that luster of mystic nobility. As the greater world churned and seethed with revolutionary theory and unrest, his pen and his person continued to emanate a paragon of calm life embracing righteousness. His chuvot, his igrot, his chiburim, uh, hachatayim, uh, right, provide a look into the Rav's actual Torah thought process, the way he cites previous decisors, coupled with his precise analysis, allows us to appreciate the firm Talmudic ground that paved the way for his electrifying leaps of halachic logic. Reading examples in full context, if you get the chance, reveals his pragmatic approach to his questioners and critics, who couldn't be expected to bridge the societal gulf in a kindred vision with him. As is the case with all uncensored letters and correspondence, regardless of the principles involved, the Rabs, if you look at all his writings, are replete with examples of veritable struggle and emotion. And those letters might be a topic for perhaps a different class when we get to look at it. Um, The Rav left many unfinished works, and those fragments attest to a grand scope, a conscientious regard to exact phrasing, and no points unexamined. Um, we're going to talk. We're going to actually quote two of them tonight uh, from the Sefer Mitzvot Haraya and Ein Einaya. The Mitzvot Haraya was a work of clarification and comments on the Shulchan Aruch. Uh, it yielded scores of novel insights into what had been a well-trod path of the commentaries and super-commentaries. He published the initial folios comprising only the first seven simonim of, of Arachaim in 1924. Uh, the depth and attention to detail displayed there indicates that the work, if ever completed, would have had to be contained in several volumes. Of course, it was not completed. Um, again, there's a lot of... Um, comparisons one can make to the Mishnah Brura 
Um, the safer itself, of course, can never really stand as a reliable handbook of small enlightening points or obvious halakha conclusions. Uh, in order to really appreciate his book on, on, on Shulchan Aruch, you have to, it has to be savored by a reader who desires to follow the Rob's pathway of subtle distinction. And it's marked at times by eye-opening nerve in his rejections of a custom sock in favor, really, of those desires of a Kabbalistic bent, and he wasn't afraid to sort of throw in with the Mekubolim. Uh, Enaya, which began when the Rav was uh, only about 18 years old in Lithuania, is a running commentary on the Agadic portions of Shas, and it's based on the idea of Ein Yaakov, that's Rabbi Yaakov Ibn Chaviv, put together all the Agadites in Shas, and he wanted this book to sort of act as a way for someone to understand the Agadite in a different way. Uh, if the finished work would have been immense. The Pasuk in Eov, that's the source for this um, this word, this Aya Ein Shazaftu Velo Ayat. No bird of prey knows that path, no falcon's eye has seen it. Aya, of course, is Avram, which alludes not only to the book's primary source, which is the Ein Yaakov, Aya Ein, right? Aya Ein Shazaftu which means no falc- the eye of the falcon hasn't seen it. Um, so that's the ayin, which is the Ein Yaakov. Of Cook's name is Ayo, Avram Yitzchak HaKohen. Um, and if you read his introduction, he states there that he's presenting an approach to reading the agotic portions of the Talmud in a way that was novel and not yet put to paper, but desperately needed in this age. So... You're going to see how exact he is in the language of Chazal and his masterful parsing of the text. Uh, even the names mentioned, whether they're Tanoyim or Amaroyim or personages from Tanakh, are always placed in historical philosophical context. And if you actually read the the pieces, you'll taste them after you read them, the living moral messages, which he sees running through even the most obtuse Aramaic phrase. Um and of course what distinguishes the Rab's work I believe in the in the Enaya uh, is its consistency it's an actual running commentary uh, he doesn't omit any statement or nuance he fuses every jagged edge into an unalterable ingredient of the main idea of the passage without appearing to force any preconceived notion or attitude which was the staple of even the most respected darshan uh, Rav Cook extracts from every chunk of Agada to a modern relevancy tied to Kedusha Sachayim. And many teachers of the Rav's thought consider the study of those passages from the Sefer to be the best entry point to the greater examinations of his works in full. So this is a little bit of an essay that I wrote as an introduction to a syllabus of a course I gave a number of years ago. But um, So that's a build-up. So let's take a look and, and jump in. Um, so the um, the piece that let's talk about a piece from the Mitzvah Taraya um, so the um, let's talk about something which is as Prevalent, one of the most prevalent signs of being an Orthodox Jew. The idea to walk with your head covered. So it comes from the Shulchan Aruch. 
where the halacha says, and you can see, Again, it's talking about that's walking publicly, well, walking perhaps anywhere, but we'll see if it's in public or anywhere. A person shouldn't walk with his head uncovered. Now you can see the Shulchan Aruch right before that, the Beis Yosef wrote the words, which is to walk in a haughty manner. So these seem to be sort of Musar ideas. And this is referring to men. This is to men or any, I guess anyone should, shouldn't walk around haughty. And a man and shouldn't walk around with his head uncovered. Um, now, the question is why? So one answer for both might be Mishum Mirosho, as the Malbim points out here in his commentary, Arts There's a sense of God is above us. So here the question is okay, so what is head covering about? I understand not walking around like you own the world, but what is head covering about? So as you can see, Amas Melach. There's a sense of modesty. The king is here. You need to be modest. Now, this term of, of, of modesty really is based on a, on a, a number of uh, passages in the Rambam. Um, where the Rambam calls this a modest method of, of walking. Um, as you can see, some say that even if it's less than four Amos, especially if you're outside. Um, riding in a car or on an animal is the same thing. But here's an interesting aspect that really gives us the key, at least I believe, um, for this halach or this minag. It says, Ketanim noagim leilech arosh. And this is based on the Mogan Avram. It's in the Shulchan, Mogan Avram, a commentary on Shulchan Aruch. That children have a custom not to cover their hair, not to cover their head. However, um, the Mogan Avram says, Tov v'chasos rosham. You can um, wear, it's, it's, it's a good thing to cover their head, but they, the minig is not to. And it's based on a Gemara and a Dharam that seems to say clearly that kids do not walk around with their head covered. Today, of course, that's the greatest sign of a, of a chesidish, a little community or a yeshiva community or a religious community is all the kids are walking around with their head covered. And yet, based on the Mogan of Ramat that based on the Gemara Nadarim, that the Minig was not to cover your head for children. Okay. Um, it's expanded on a little bit more on a, a very famous uh, Chuva from Rav Shlomo Luria. We talked about him last a couple of weeks, a couple of times before. Let me just show that to you here. And we're going to get ready for what Rav Cook is going to say. Um, if you can see down here in the bottom, uh, the Malbim in Sifches uh, mentions here that. You see where the cursor is? What is Gilea Rosh? Is it Osir Midin? Or is it just Midas Chasidus? Right? What the Shulchan Aruch implies. Is it really Osir to walk around with your head uncovered? It says, Marshal of 16th century. The Marshal says it's not really a Din. 
And he says, however, there's been a lot of discussion in the Achronim, especially in the modern era when people saw that they needed, in order to do business and other things, to take the head covering off. So the Malbim quotes the Rambam, which is where the idea of Tznius comes from. He says, Tznius gedol v'nogel talmidech hachomim. And it seems to be only for a Talmachochem. What's a Tzniyus Gedola? What's a great modesty? So look at this language here. They don't let their heads be uncovered or other parts of their body. And he quotes again the Malbim, the Moranabuchim, another place of the, of the Rambam's works. And um, in a Sefer that might have been written by the Rambam, at least it was attributed to him, it's called Pirke Hanhogos. It says... Um, and then, of course, the question is, well, the Rambam's talking about a Talmud Chochem. You're not a Talmud Chochem. If you're not a Talmud Chochem, why do you have to do that? And then the Malbim gets into a discussion about how many times there's phraseology that seems to be only about Talmud Chochem, and yet we accept it ourselves to sort of live up to that to live up to that level. The Malbim, through, as you can see, a, a huge uh, discussion here where he actually agrees with the Marshal that it's only a minig of midas chasidus, but he says the reason why it would be called snius, and this is what I want to contrast his, 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 and again, the Malbim wrote this in the mid-19th century, also a, a trailblazing work, uh, and, and a brilliant work, the Arts of Chaim, but his idea of the snius and the reason why you would wear a head covering so it's not this little kippah even that I'm wearing which is a pretty decent sized one but it was actually a head covering that stopped you from looking at the outside world cool. it was like it was like it was almost like a, a right a hood that you looked just right in front of you it wasn't what we our postage stamp type of kippah that's what Chazal were talking about Gili Arosh meant you you didn't want to bump into walls, but on the other hand, you didn't want to have to see. And again, you can imagine uh, how that would apply today. So that was the idea of the tznius, meaning you know you, you, there was a certain type of uh, fashion of, of, of men and and others that would wear this type of things, and therefore perhaps children didn't have to be submitted to it because again, as they got older, they become more sensitive to things they'd see in the street. So, so really, it's really a, a, almost a reinterpretation of what the head covering is. Um, and perhaps that's the most consistent way to look at it in terms of the sources. But I think it leaves a little bit for us because, as the Taz and others point out, it's become the symbol of what a religious person is. So if there's, there's a statement here from Rav Cook that I think is really puts it in... And it's so, it's so simple, and yet... Let's take a look and see how it really puts things in a whole different perspective. Again, this was a sefer he wrote in Halacha, and this is just a little piece of it right over here. So if you can see here, I'm going to make it a little bit larger. Anyway. This is from the Mitzvah Sarai. I've mentioned this before. Children their derech is to walk around without head coverings. It's good, this way they fear God more. Rav Kook says, 
Now, the Mogan Avram found a proof that in one Gemara it says it's good because it trains you to have Yerushalayim. You feel there's something on top of you, so to speak. God is here. So why not train kids that way? Why was the Minig not to train them? And therefore, in fact, Chazal should have made it an effort that, that everybody should be should wear the way it happens today. But Chazal didn't do that. Ve'ulai. And again, he's wondering here, but I think he means it more than just a possibility. Yisod kisi arosh It's not just, oh, I feel God because there's a pressure on my head. What is the head? The head is the place of the brain, the mind. And therefore we know the mind is very powerful. And it can do amazing things. When you have an organ, something that can be used in an extreme negative way, then you cover it. Why are you covering it? To sort of channel it. You're not going to use it for... It's a way that is a negative. To use it only in a positive. The seichel, which is in all of us. We know it's there to elevate us from the animal kind to give us reason and logic. When you just think, use it, and you think about anything you want, and you use it to go beyond human can, to think in ways that really push the bounds of morality and reason, or in things that are beyond your ability to comprehend, especially if you use it to create fantasies and other things using your brain and your mind to construct them so that's using the seichel in a negative way so therefore that's why like the other parts of the body that we cover up for tznius we cover them up because they are very powerful and they could lead, of course, to the greatest things in the world, the procreation and the continuation of humankind. But on the other hand, they can be used just in a way, in an erotic way, so we cover them up. Not because so much we're embarrassed of them, it's a message to us about the power and potential of misuse. In the same way, we, we put things on our head in order to sort of indicate wh- how the mind can be misused. And that's why, if you take a look, Rav Cook even writes here. So this is Rav Cook's uh, right now, what we're doing? Right, this is Rav Cook. So do you see how different it is wow. from what has preceded it? The Malbim and the others, the Malbim was really cutting edge in, in, in the mid-19th century, collecting all the sources and putting them together so brilliantly, uh, and, and, and really perhaps maybe even more honestly in some way, in terms of fealty to the original sources. Or if Cook really jumps really into a whole different way here. It isn't about, I feel God, oh, I'm not supposed to look. It's really about, think about what your mind is. Think about why you cover anything. And therefore, as he says, um, it's proper to cover at least some of it. You don't need the biggest couple in the world. But some of that, that covering is sort of like a way to remind you about the power of your mind. 
Because remember, there is a way that the mind can easily pull itself into fantasy and uh, what we call apikursisha thought or kfira or any of those type of the ways of thinking. Well, pizif, that's the idea of head covering. <laughs> right? You have to have a child that at least has started to think intellectually. And therefore, you can start really, but it, it doesn't have to be put on every child, like sort of like a, like, like a, like a talisman to protect them. It's put on a child that starts, that's already intellectually developing, that his mind is forming. You can see that he already starts to think and he can comprehend what that means. Because with putting the kisi on his head, so the, so therefore he'll understand your mind is forming, you're very good at Mishnayis, you know all the brochas by art, you know all the thing. Don't think that your mind is so powerful, you can do whatever you want with it. But if you have a child that can, he walks, he's cute, he's got dimples, but and that's why he says it's similar to another halacha that we have a beautiful minigalach, nati matzah, on an erev pesach. Why? Because it's sort of like, 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 like seeing the bride too early, right? It's like, it's having a relation with the bride beforehand. So this is like a hanhoga that we don't eat matzah and erev pesach. So if you take a look at the Ramah there, he says that if you have a child that, you know, he's hungry. So even though he doesn't really understand the significance, so give him matzah. It's not like, oh, it's us or tea. Oh, can't eat matzah, can't eat matzah. Hey, give him matzah. You think he understands exactly? Because that's, because chinuch has to be age appropriate. So therefore, the Gemaras that talk about certain children that had their head covered, that's talking about children that were already mefutach, they were already were advanced. Whereas the Gemara Nadarim that the Mogan Avram started with is talking about children that really never even came to that age much younger than that. So this is, I think, an example of of, of, of really a modernization in a way, but actually perhaps even a truer understanding of what that 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 uh, honored minog is. Yes, so that's one. Okay. Now, let's move on to something else. Here, two other little pieces from from uh, the Enaya. Um One of the most famous Gemaras in Shas is the Gemara in um, in Shabbos, where the Gemara says um, that Rav Shimon Bar Yochai, after he came out of his Mara was ready to help the world. And Gemara talks about how he was metahir certain places, that places that people had thought were Tomei, he was able to use sort of his Ruch HaKodesh and his halachic new savvy that he had gained in the, in the Mara to indicate where the Kohanim could go, where they couldn't, and he sort of helped the community. Part of the stress of the Gemara there is that, and the Gemara before that, when it talks about the way he spoke, spoke to his son, was that he was going to be a very positive influence. He was a Kabbalist, as we know, the great Makubo, or Shem Yochai. The Gemara, though, really emphasizes the fact that he wants to help his surroundings. Now, the Gemara inserts a model for that type of attitude, which is Yaakov. Because the Psukim, when they speak about Yaakov, um, after his meeting with Esau, it speaks about how Yaakov, Vayichan uh, Espenei he comes to Shechem, and um, after he 
puts his animals away and makes the Sukkot for his animals. It says that he, he encamped right with the skyline, so to speak, of the city. It's Pene Ha'ir. Um, and Chazal say that Yaakov was doing positive things. He wasn't just staying there um, and having his own little life near the city of Shechem. Chazal say, as you can see here, Amarav Matbeya Tikin Lahem, that he actually had he actually interacted with the people of Shem. This was before Dina was taken and raped. But this was where he interacted with them. And according to Rav, Ayichan as Hair means he was fully involved with that society to the point that he brought to the table the idea of currency. Shmuamar that he went even further, seemingly, he had the idea of commerce, of marketplace, where you would actually have a market that people would come from other places to, not just currency. And Rabbi Yochanan Omar, that he developed the idea of bathhouses for them, of taking, of cleanliness, of hygiene. So on that note, then the Gemara says, Rav Shemba wanted to be similar. So Rav Cook in his in his parish here um, talks about these three levels, and I think on a, on, on a on a simple level, when when looks at this, one says, "Oh yeah, look, yeah, the first Jew, you know, the Jew, he was he, he got the currency going, he got the market going, right?" And in, in a way, it sort of heralds the first two opinions seem to almost be in line with this idea of the Jews as they did in Poland and, and they were brought in and other places to create an economic structure and to help the community in an economic way. The Jews are, are understand how money, how important the aspect of money is. And of course it doesn't necessarily jive with a spiritual aspect, right? It's almost like we're almost embarrassed of it, right? That this idea that we're that we have such great uh, financial acumen. Uh, famous scene of course in Cindy Lumet's uh, film, The Pawnbroker, you might have seen it, where where Rod Steiger's character playing a Holocaust survivor speaks to to his young ward, trying to tell him how why the Jews are so good in money, how how out of desperation, how important it was, and it almost has been the type of thing that the, in in the uh, Haskalah period and in the um, Enlightenment period was almost a, a, a sign of shame, the Jewish mer- the, the mercantile aspect of Judaism. In fact, we still struggle with it. Rav Cook, I think, gives us a little bit of, a, of, a, of an angle here to see it in a positive way, in a very much more positive way. So, again, the language is somewhat flowery, but I think it's understandable. So he says that Hagboros HaMusar HaTov HaMatim The idea of of the right type of Musa, which is aligned with true righteousness. And to strengthen communities. They all go together. In other words, living properly, living the right ethical way, in line with what God wants us to live, works with creating a strong community. And the way it works, this these three points work with Asmodos Hayachas Shiim Tzimenonim Ochaveiro. 
it really comes with recognizing how connected we are with our fellow man, our fellow consumer. And you'll see why. You need to recognize when I look at you or look at anyone who's on the street, who's with me in line at ShopRite or wherever he is, that there's someone else here. And he has his needs. He or she has their needs. Because if you look at it in in a very superficial way, we look at everyone as our doggy dog. Everyone is a potential uh, enemy for eating up the resources. You could say all of us are really competing for life. And this other person's need to live and to have is really, in a sense, a competition to me. And, of course, there were people who theorized that way. Malthus and others, there were people that there were limited resources. Rav Cook says, This is completely mistaken. Because that's how hatred develops. That's how hatred develops. I see this person as someone, I need that spot. i got to go home and feed my kids. I need that parking spot. That's why people will fight over things. There's a sense that that person is a competition with you. And that leads to jealousy and a sense of um, of, of miserliness towards other people. And not only that, from one country to the other, America, China, whatever it is, we've got to work for ourselves. He says to look at it properly, shows us that the more people there are, there's more potential for positivity. The more people in this planet, the more people are globalized and connected, because everyone is an individual and has different gifts. I could benefit from, from your product. You are a human being with, with intellect, with a mind, an idea, and with talent, and I could benefit by stuff that you're doing. If I recognize that this is something real to me, that you're not my enemy, you're not my competitor, you're someone who through life together we could actually both gain. So Yoser Yisrachiv Koach Ha'ava Va'achvas Achevra Anushis. That's how it leads to brother, not not like from you know the commercial. Like I'd like to teach the world to sing. You know, everybody is just holding hands, or we are the world. That's not how it happens. It happens intellectually by recognizing how that person and the more people there are can actually lead to a betterment of the planet, not only in some moralistic way, but even in an economic way, and that could lead to a sense of ava and brotherhood between people. Shemimen, if we have that, because once we have that feeling towards other people on the planet, that's going to lead to the great beauty that this planet that God created can have. Now, how do you create this sense of interconnectedness and how much that person can do for you? He says there's three ways to do it. One way is Increase the ways that a person recognizes their interconnection to someone else. Now, let's say before currency was developed, 
So yeda ha'adam shuyochulios lena betotzos pulosov shalchaveiro. Let's say I know that you uh, you are a you have a, a dairy farm and you do a great job in producing good milk. And I have a poultry farm and I produce eggs. I need to drink milk. You need um, to eat eggs. So when I need milk, I recognize, boy, I'm happy that uh, Simma's out there having a great dairy farm. Uh, that's really a big thing. And I recognize, boy, I'm happy Simma's around because I can't, I don't have the energy to raise the cow. And you need some eggs. If I've, you know, I've got my own chicks or I stop eating eggs and I'm on a high-protein shake diet where I'm just drinking the milk, I don't see the you as a positive thing. Aha! But that's what a coin represents. That's what currency represents. Something which we all accept can work to give us Benefits to give us goods and services, and it's all in this physical coin that I hold, and it goes from me to you, and we use this as the means of connectedness. That so now, so whenever right, let's say I have too much milk, so what do I? Uh, too much eggs, so I sell them, and what do I get? I get this coin. Aha. And now when I look at this coin, I say, wow, this gives me power. I can get something that someone else worked for to produce through this. So having this coin that I sold isn't just I got money, I have money. I have here, by having coins, everyone realizes how interconnected we are and how I can use this to get a benefit of something that somebody, in the future if I need it, as someone has done. So having it, if it was only barter, you, you would only re- you could still be this grumpy old farmer who didn't really care. But having money, actually creating the idea of money, even though you don't really you're not going and spending it right now, just having the coin and recognizing what it can do alerts you to the interconnectedness and how you can use other people's energies and and, 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 and and buy with them whenever whatever you need. So in Cain, Misraba Roshem Ha'ava. What happens is money isn't oh money, money. Money could actually be seen as a way to actually oh I love people. Look what I can have with this I can actually get stuff that he's done and he's done and I have it right now in my hand. That's what that's that's what Musr comes from when you have more of it by having it con- happen having it happen consistently. So the more people are, are, are amassing coins and coinage, it isn't like this Scrooge McDuck who has you know just all money, money, money. It's actually a way to to bond people to each other. That's a really right, and that's what Yaakov, in a sense, and and and, and why. This maybe even the Jews who were involved in it is, have really presented, have, have done something so positive, creating easy ways of, of, of a society to to develop is more than just now I've got what I need to go buy stuff and I don't have to just barter. It also the coin itself is that symbol of something that, like Rav Cook says, that um, 
it's 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 the coin itself shows me that I can get what I need from someone else, and I can and that can bond me to the to, to, right. Now, um, Shmuel said that what he was doing was was making actually more than he was making uh, markets. So, where does this sense of love to the community come from? When a person sees in other words, a marketplace, a shuk, is more than just the people in this area. Marketplaces were where people came from all around, not just the people I grew up with. Coin could help within Mayberry, the people that we know here, right? You can go to Floyd's, you can go to the drugstore, wherever it is. But now, once there's the mall, once there's this actually a place that people are going to come from Mount Pilot and all these other places, they're going to come to uh, the area to actually buy. So now it's even better. Why is it better? Because now I see not just the people that were the people of my who I grew up with right right um, because the people I grew up with I'll say yeah well I, these are the people I, grew, I have to I have to deal with them having a marketplace is, makes you understand and be tolerant and love people from beyond kiim odio sir because now we can actually use our mind we're going to get people from all over to come to this place and the more people that are coming and the more people are coming with their needs so there's more bracha there's more blessing there's more work there's more people around and again my sense of the global connectedness has become strengthened that's what having a marketplace okay Okay, so those two work very good, I think. The idea of a market. Now let's talk about having a bathhouse. So here, Rav Cook, I think, sort of, again, I'm no, I'm no one to judge, but I'm not sure if he totally accomplishes what he was after. But it's a, it's a great attempt to figure out how having bathhouses can also elevate this sense of the global economic community. Maybe there's more here. I have to look at it over and over again to maybe appreciate it more. But we'll give it a shot, right? Let's take a look. Okay, so let's see about the bathhouse. He says, "Omnam Those things are a benefit. Rak al In other words, a consumer needs to be a sophisticated, elevated person that he believes in in a certain sense of purity, tam, that he has like a, a, a sophisticated palate of what he wants to taste and things that, that he feels um, uh, he deserves, because then he'll have more needs. You know, a mountain man says, you know, you don't need no soap, you don't need no deodorant, you don't need any of that stuff, right? But if you sort of like get people thinking about you know, you should smell better, wash better. This, look, most of the commercials are for some sort of body need, right? If I build up the idea that you need more things, then you're going to need to buy more stuff, and you're going to need to be connected more. Where does it come that a person sort of feels that he is a more a person uh, that needs stuff? that I need things that sort of if not coddle me but at least represent 
uh, you know, the type of hygiene and the type of way I'm, it's not pampering myself, but the way I'm living, that comes from a, a broadening of the idea of Nikayon and Tahara. That comes from broadening the idea of yourself, of keeping yourself clean, of keeping yourself pure. And that's really the idea of going to these bathhouses and spending the time there to come out as a different type of person. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, in other words, again, take a look. You'll see. Pe- standing pe- on your own gosh, right? You're thinking, oh, I could use this for my hands. And that's this right. For this. And then you go to the marketplace, and it's like, well, look at the whole world. That's look right. Every, what everybody's right. You become you, right. You become more of a, a, your needs expand based on a sense of who you are as a person of. Not necessarily a, a pampered person, but a person who is, you know, a, a person. Yeah, you got to send your stuff to the laundry. There's going to money for dry cleaning. All these type of things come when you recognize that a, a person needs to li- live as a clean, elevated person. So that all ties in together. The way of Cook sees it, and he says all of this was part of Yaakov, and Yaakov saw the shlemus of, of, of humanity. And the truth is, he says, it happened in Shechem. And he wanted it to be in Shechem. Why Shechem? So here, of course, goes on a, a limb here, because we know there was going to be something terrible in Shechem. What's going to happen in Shechem is not only Yosef was going to be sold there, and Dina was going to be raped, but something even more, in a sense, fundamental, was what our Malchus was, was ripped apart. That's the area where they rebelled against Rechavam, and went with Yeruvim ben Nevat, happened in Shechem. Because they, that community, which, which was a community that was so blessed, the community of David and Shlomo was one of the most wealthy and, and interconnected. That's when you know, Israel ran the world, so to speak. But, that's what they had. They didn't know how to align that physical Chomri and the idea of having physical positivity in, in their community and having a strong society with the shlemus of a Musr and Iyun, which clearly they didn't see that. They, they were definitely into expanding Shlomo, expanding Armalchus, but they didn't realize that this wasn't just a, this is not a mean, this is a means to an end. The idea of having a, 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 a vibrant Global-like super community, which is what, what it was like in the time of Shlomo, and then given up to Rachavim, was a means to actually become a much more elevated, loving community towards them, within themselves and to the greater world. And that they didn't have. Yaakov was attempting to do that here in that same spot, because that was the spot where it broke. But that's the idea of the shift. So, right. But I guess if they would have figured it out then then maybe Mashiach Right. And maybe Yaakov was planting that there uh-huh. uh, in Shechem. And that's why Yaakov, it says he came Shalem there. Vayavo Yaakov Shalem. He was, he was, he was right. Um, and that's what it is to, to put all these energies together. To Mekadosh, the name of God. Its name is Shalom. So this is, you know, you look at this um, Chazal and wow, has he really turned it on its head? It starts off with, okay, you know, the Jew is the, uh, the capable person, the capable person who understands the economy, and he's turned it into really 
a, a manifesto for not only embracing the world, embracing a global economy, of recognizing what the purpose of having a strong state and a strong country is, um, and, and, and a strong economic country. We're not just talking about people who are living off of, you know, and living in, in the most in, in the most impoverished way. He believes there's something positive with almost a certain amount, if not pampering, but a certain amount of living in, in, in a way where you, know, you, you take care of yourself and you have these needs, and, and yet you don't become uh, the old... The, the image of the consumer has never been glorified and made holy as much as, as what he's done over here, which is really shocking. Most people would say, you know, come on, you know. It's beautiful. Yeah. It seems like the, the ideal. Right. And this is why many people had a hard time comprehending. Okay. Do we have time for a couple, one more thing? Okay. So, okay. So just a one more thing here. So let's talk about one more thing here with Rev. Cook. This is a, a piece in um, one of the strangest Gemaras that you probably, when people come to see, it's come on the beginning of Brochus. The Gemara says that about Shaden. The Gemara says, it quotes the Tana Abba ben Yamin, who says, If humans could see it, If you could see the, the demons around you, no human being would be able to stand. Abai then explained, In reference to what? Demons. Shadim. Why was it mentioned there? Yeah. The Gemara started talking about how you should not leave people alone in a, uh, in a an abandoned area at night. How you should wait for people, but it had to do with the laws of Kriyashma and other things like that. So um, that's how we got into it. So the Gemara starts speaking about the idea of these 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 powers, these demons that are around. It's good that we can't see them. If you could see them, you wouldn't be able to to, to stand the fact. Then the Gemara talks about that. Uh, how many they are, and the Gemara says, "Hi dahavi bekala minayu havi." You know, we go to shear and, and 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 we sort of feel rubbing against us. He says that comes from them. Now Rashi interprets it that there seems to be plenty of room, but why do I feel like like I'm crowded? Um, the Gemara then says that um, people's knees are are pained. And, 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 right? And they figure, why am I paying? I haven't done anything. Where's that from? The Lord says it comes from these mazikim, these shadim, these demon, demonic beings. Then the Lord says the clothes of the rabbis that are, um, that seem to wear out, where do they come from? They come because they're rubbing against us. The Lord says, what about people who fall and stumble everywhere? He says, he says yeah, it's from them. Then the Gemara says, if you want to know who they are, if you want to, to, to know them, then bring some uh, earth, bring some um, some ashes that have been burnt thoroughly and spread it around your bed. And in the morning, you'll see it like, like, like chicken feet. <laughs> okay. So, right. And then the Gemara speaks about if, that, 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 that if you want to actually see them, the Gemara speaks about taking the afterbirth of a cat that's black. So you look at these Gemaras, and they seem to be like almost, in many people's minds, like the worst of, these, of this primitive, uh, uh, superstitious feelings that, that, the, that, that, that rabbinic Judaism had. And 
obviously the idea of demonic presence of, of, of right? it's, it's, it's a very hard thing to comprehend and Rav Cook doesn't shy away and he actually I think reinterprets these passages in a way that actually are, are quite powerful um, if, you, if you take a look here one of the things he says here first of all the first statement the statement about um, not, uh, not being able to see them so he says that, what does that mean? He says, Can you see here on the board? Yeah. This is for people who really live with this desire to want to know things that's beyond their ken. There's people who want to know something, whether it's in the, whether it, has, it could be in a scientific way or a spiritual way, and they're upset. And it bothers them why they can't do it. It bothers them why they're not able to push and why when you tell them, oh, that's just something you can't understand. What do you mean I can't understand it? And the limits of human can or their own specific abilities frustrates them. So we have to realize, this is what Abba Ben Yaman is saying, that in a way it's good for us that we live in a certain limit of our intellectual capacity. Because sometimes knowing, right, is, it's better not to know than to know. And God, of course, is the Tovin Meitav to us. And therefore, that's what the statement is saying. Because if you could see everything you'd want to see, then you might not be able to withstand that it might actually cripple you. So that's the first statement about these 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 questions. That that's what Abba Ben Yaman is saying. That it's better that we don't know certain things, and then we have to accept that. Now, in terms of we talked about the um, the um, what it comes from. What are these mazikim? He says the base. These mazikim. He says that it really comes from ourselves. People, um, it, it, it comes from our innate weaknesses, and also in our limits as a human being, and also comes from our bad actions that we take. And as he mentions here, that for example, this idea that we think that there's no room when we go to a shear. <laughs> he says, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin that you know, when people love each other, they could sleep on the width of a, of, of a knife. And when they don't love each other, there's no bed that's big enough for them. He says, the truth is, he says, is that the energy, the, really we should love learning Torah all the time. Why is it that when you come to the shir, you're starting to think about, oh, it's, I'm so uncomfortable. If you really, why is it that every lack of, 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 of some comfort is Torah you? So that's the idea that that's this element of, of selfishness, this element of, of a lack of love of Torah. It doesn't mean that the shadim are there pushing it. In other words, it's, 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 a, it's, it's, it's something... Kind of creating our own demons. That's right. And there's something within you that's not allowing you to really appreciate it. Similarly, when he talks about the... Um, when he talks about 
the um, the next aspect, which is you feeling your knees are tired. Well, that's when you're doing mitzvahs, right? If you, you know, the people they run with their legs to do mitzvahs, it, you shouldn't be tired from it at all. And yet sometimes we feel, oh, you know, I had to go to deliver this stuff. I had to go run into this place. That sense of tiredness, of that it's not natural to you, this, this is really that negativity in doing mitzvahs. Um, also, the idea of, of the, the, the clothing becoming um, worn out, it doesn't, we don't mean clothing, we're talking about the midos of a person, the, the, the character traits that a person clothes himself in, that unfortunately we find that even sometimes, even by the most scholarly, astute people, that they don't have good midos. And again, that comes from those midos rows that, that, that develop, and, and it's all around us in a way. And therefore, Tamir HaKamim sometimes suffer from not being having the best midos. Um, because what happens is, he says, when you, when you apply your spiritual energies in an intellectual way, so there is this yin and yang in the world. There is this idea that something else corresponds to it, a sense of haughtiness, a sense of... Right? So if you're, you're so involved in your mind, you could actually start thinking of yourself being great and beyond, and, and, your, and your character traits suffer. I don't have time for anybody else. You think you're, you're the best. And that's what they are trying to say when they say that those midos seem to be rubbed away by these demons. Um, therefore, he says that Talmud Chacham needs to be very careful with his midos. Um, and of course, sometimes those elements that are out there in the world um, can stop. Um, they're out there. And it isn't just within you. It's even stuff outside of you. You have to realize that there is, although we don't necessarily own up to it, there is a struggle that goes on between good and evil. There is things out there. And there is this, this, this struggle the way God set up the world. And sometimes when you fall, meaning it's not in your own body, there are things that we are involved in a struggle for bringing the world to a better place. So this is the way he looks at these demons as things that, that, that develop within you but are also part of a world that is not yet fixed. The last thing I want to do today is the idea of, of the ashes. So he said that if you think about it, what, where do all these negative things come from? They come from a sense of separateness. They come from a sense that I want something for myself. Obviously, if we're together, God gives us the bracha, as we spoke about before. If you have achdos, he says, then you have love of other people. And from love of other people is the only way to really come to love God. That's why loving other people is so important in the, in the idea of Rav Kook. If you're separate, all you want is really what you want. Uh, the Pasuk says, So, if you think about it, ashes is the symbol of something that can't be put back together again. Before you burnt it, it was something solid. 
Now it's been turned into ashes that can't really be resurrected. That's the tachlis apirud. Because you can't you take it with water, you can't bring it back together at all. And that's really this idea of, of, of what shadim are. They're about a sense of, I'm in my own world, I'm just for myself, I'm here to not be connected with you and just get what I want. That's really the, the symbol of, of, what, of what these energies are, these, this negativity. And that's why he says it looks like a chicken foot because in Chazal's mind, the chicken was just involved in its own physicality, involved in its own procreation. That's what the chicken was. It was this, right. They called them Shtufe Zima. They're involved in sexual activity, involved in just eating from everywhere. So therefore, the, the hint for someone who's involved in his physical desires just to the exclusion, just, just there for himself, that is that koach apirud. Um, because all you're thinking about about yourself, sort of like the legs of a chicken, the way a chicken is it's about. It's interesting that the chicken feet are a bit of a delicacy. <laughs> you know this? They to eat chicken feet. But this is... Yeah, and and chicken soup? World? And chicken yeah. soup? No, but in the... Right. Have chicken, chicken feet. feet. You heard about this? Maybe this. I mean, is, I maybe. Well, again, according to this, it's sort of maybe how how we perhaps elevate it. So this is oh. really so okay. so so. What Rav Cook again, I think, has shown here is you've seen him being consistent in his in his sense, but also he's trying to to in a way break this this negative stereotype to be able to look at Chazal like this and actually get from it. A, 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 a path to real what real achdus is. It's not just. It's about really living, not just for yourself. It's about understanding that that's the way you can elevate yourself away from tivus. So I think you know it should be the schluss for Rav Kook's machshava to be continued. Hopefully, this will be okay. something that will allow you uh, to. I can bring you some websites where I can show you where uh, a lot of a lot of new work is being done to really make him much more accessible to to everyone. So he should he should be a big mevutzer for us and. That that the Kohen Gadol, Hagadol Meochiv, to 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 walk in hand in hand with the Mashiach, done to really make him much. More-